Okay, can you hear me? Another episode of Talking Schmidt. Today on the program we have RS2 Ray Stevens the second. Who is Ray, you ask? Well, he's probably been in more bands than Johnny Manic, I could say that. Maybe. But most notably, Ray is a member of the Drunk Engines, Los Olvidados. He produced the second McRat album. Ah, let's hear some of his stories. Ray almost died on us too with the COVID. He was in the hospital, had a serious stint, and uh, we're lucky to have him still alive. So it was good catching up with Ray. Hope you guys enjoy this one. Remember, 169 is on its way. Screaming Lord Salba will have his say. Head on down to your local shop. Ask 
Hey, it's Corey at Blue Plate, 3218 Mission Street. Come see us. Meatloaf, fried chicken, deviled eggs, Dollar Olympia beers. We're here every day of the week. We got a garden and we got smiles on our faces. Come let us make you happy. This is Ray Stevens and you're listening to Talking Schmidt. Ow. Holy cannoli. It's cool, like tonight is the night. <laughs> yeah. Oh, big dog's in. Do we really want to be here? Oh, everything's changed. We on? Schmitty? Talking Schmidt. Talking Schmidt, dude. <laughs> You're going to come out different. <laughs> shit my pants, man. Your Rolodex is fucking deep. Holy shit. It's about the one. The one. The one. Who is this guy? He thinks he's tough shit. What's up? Come on, Schmitty. What the fuck? Tell the skateboard police to come get me. What is happening? I'm here for Greg Smith. Yeah! All right, listen up, everybody. I'm on 280 South. Yes, I do know the way to San Jose. We're going deep, deep in the cuts today with fucking one of the originals in my mind of skate rock. This is Ray Stevens. What's up, Ray? Yeah, Schmitty. I'm doing good, man. Hanging in there. You um, are. Laying low. Really stoked on this, Steve. Getting some pretty stoking news lately. Um, Chef Pierre got a leg tattoo. Uh, Ray Stevens to uh, Israel Forbes artwork. Oh, I think I did see that on the uh, Instagram. So sick, man. Blew my mind. You oh, know, man. I'm Pierre forever. And, um, you know, I see him every now and then. You know, I like to buy artwork off of my friends and I get stuff from him and he, he does some pretty amazing stuff. So right on, Pierre. Shout out. Um, it really stoked me up. You know, I've known that cat forever, you know. Pierre's the best. Yeah, legend, dude. He's the legend, you know. You in San Jose, yeah, or Campbell? Or? Actually, yeah, Santa Clara. Santa Just, Clara. Uh, right up the street around the corner from uh, Santa Clara University. Are you um, pissed about Great America? You know what? Uh, <laughs> whatever. It's make America great again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, that- yeah, who cares? <laughs> the 49ers will probably build a parking garage over there or something. Somebody's getting in there. Everybody's mm-hmm. barging it. But, you know, the Bay Area is still great. You know, like uh, I spent some years in San Francisco when I went to school up there. And I live right behind uh, Bruno's Banks. Oh, yeah. 20th and Cap. And uh, Steve Olson lived right around the corner. No way. Yeah. I, um, he lived up here for a little while. And, We'd go skate and party and hit Bruno's three in the morning. And yeah, like, I don't know. I'm pretty, pretty uh, lucky to, you know, basically grew up here, but I was an army brat before um, I lived in San Jose. I was uh, born in Yuma, Arizona. Mm. I got my name, uh, Johnny Yuma. It's actually a Johnny Cash song for the drunk engines, but mainly because I was born in Yuma. Oh, okay. My dad was in the army, so we lived in Germany. Virginia, you know, like all over the place. And then finally, when he settled down um, after Vietnam, he's all, where do you guys want to live? Because, you know, he's been dragging us all over the world, you know. Uh-huh. Like, uh, we had relatives in San Jose and we would come up here because like be 120 in Yuma and we'd come <laughs> to San Jose and it'd be in the 80s. Yeah. And we'd have hoodies on and windbreakers. <laughs> <laughs> People thought we were freaks. You know, like seriously, forty degree difference. You know? <laughs> seriously. So, uh, yeah, how old were you at that mo- time? I guess about um, fifth grade. You know, fifth grade. Okay. Seventy five. But see, when my dad, this is a trip. When my dad went to Vietnam, 
like in 73, my mom wanted us all to be together, you know, family-wise. So we basically moved in with my grandma and grandpa, you know, on the uh, south side. And my neighbor right behind me was Keith Meek, right? Damn. Um, dude, he was a brat. Him and his brother, <laughs> they got plenty of stories about, they would throw walnuts and rocks at me and my sister and my grandma and shit, you know? Yeah. They were punks, the original punks. <laughs> and, um, so whatever, so, yeah, and whatever. I just knew him like that, and I, I really thought his name was Mike Fink, right? But it's Keith Meek, of course. Yeah. So then um, my dad came home from Vietnam. We bought a house in the way south side. And then by that time, um, is when I kind of started skating. And then guess who lived behind me again, dude? But two houses down, Keith Meek. <laughs> what? He's following you. Dude, seriously. <laughs> I told my sister, oh, that guy Mike Fink lives around here. And I'd go skate by his house doing nose wheelies. And he'd skate by my house doing handstands. No <laughs> way. We were showing off. So, uh, but that was my original like skate partner, you know, but I'd known him even before skateboarding. Was you your know? first skateboard before San Jose or in San Jose? Um, no, it was in San Jose because like um, my grandparents were taking care of this ranch like in, um, in Saratoga. And there okay. was that cows and horses and shit over there you know yeah um, real nice you know i spent my first four years in saratoga is that is that real okay yeah you know it's kind of farming out there whatever the guy that owned the house they were never there and so me and my sister would go on adventures you know we'd go fucking raid the house and, you know we're stealing nothing but we go sit out on leather couches after swimming in their pool and shit you know <laughs> so uh, one day we we're like just bored and we go in their garage and I found this old, uh, um, bold night, like a skateboard, you know, with clay wheels. That's and they, there was a parking, like a two car garage where their Cadillacs were, but were never there. Mm. And that's why I learned how to tic tac, that whatever square of cement is what I skated all summer. And then one day I went down the street and, uh, there was a downhill and I'm like, I'm going to try this, you know? And just within about 20 yards or whatever, I got really bad speed wobs and just age, total shit, dude. This yeah. helper, you know. But then I'm like, fuck it. I think I could do this, you know, and got back on and maybe took a couple more slams, but I eventually pulled it by getting real low and holding, you know, holding uh -huh. on the board when it would wob, you know. Yeah. And that's when I basically fell in love with skateboarding, you know. So this is like around 75. Five. And Pretty much the same time I got into music, really, because huh. I was playing trumpet. And, and my grandpa um, had this electric bass. And uh -huh. I remember him kind of going, hey, who wants to learn? And my cousin, she grabbed it first, you know? I'm like, what the fuck? I got snaked, you know? <laughs> and so I'm just like waiting and watching and waiting and watching. And then when she stopped practicing, I'm like, hey, grandpa. I don't think Paul is practicing. You know what I mean? I will though. You know, I'll hear Mijo, and you know, I remember he showed me like how to tune it, right? And then that bass line, boom, 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 boom. Oh right, kind of blues across the strings, yeah. And then he's like, okay, look, if you do it this way, you can boogie boogie, don da don da don da don da don. Like how to swing it, you know what yeah. I mean? I'm like, oh sweet, you know what I mean? Like 
and just different very boom 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 like timing and shit like that and feels and stuff you know uh-huh. and my grandpa he had like a really good ear he played with the choir for years and my mom said he played with mariachi bands and all kinds of shit but he right. couldn't read a note you know he wasn't taught that way you know but he had a really good ear and he really like helped me develop it you know and um I had a really good music teacher in junior high, you know, just like really like fortunate, like with my early musical stuff, you know. But um, the thing is, is when I started skating with Meekster is, you know, he eventually. You guys became friends. Well, yeah. And the thing is, dude, this is a trip because my my the house that my parents own had a fish pond in it. Right. Oh, that, sick. And that was the main thing. When I saw the house. I was already into skateboarding, you know what I mean? And I'm like, yeah, I think this house is the best. Don't you, sis? You know, like, and we ended up getting it, but it was mainly because there was an empty fish pond that I wanted to skate, you know? And uh, it was skatable. It, they would call it a pond, right? Uh-huh. So, like, uh, so Meekster would come over, you know, once we became friends, and we would skate that shit, and we would take the buses, like, all over the valley, dude. Like, as far as it could go, and then we would skate another three miles or whatever, you know, heard about Los Altos pool and had no idea where it was at, dude. Like seriously, no idea. Just like the sketchiest, it's by a mall or something like that. You know what I mean? That's uh-huh. it. And we would just go look all day, dude. We didn't have enough money or enough forethought to bring food or water. You know what I mean? We're just kids. Were you, you just like I mean? bus to bus transfers? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then usually what would happen is um, like on a Sunday, we would forget, and this happened so many times, Smitty, forget that it stopped running at six, you know? Oh. It's the summer, and you're out. <laughs> Nobody has a watch, you know? Yeah. And you're like, oh, damn, dude, we got to go. And I'm like, oh, the buses aren't running, you know? And I'm like, you got to call your mom, Easter. No way, I did last time. You call your dad or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I call my dad once. And as soon as I hung up the phone, the bus showed up. So what do we do? We jump on the bus. Like oh. idiot, right? <laughs> so my dad still goes out there to pick us up, you know? Uh-huh. We call my mom from out there. Eh, where's my son? He's already home. Oh, my God. I got in so much trouble. Damn. Like, not thinking. Like, what were we thinking? You know what I mean? But we were too busy skating and whatever, you know? Were there so, any parks at that time? Um, this is kind of pre-parks. Before you know, Winchester pre-parks. and everything. Yeah. Wow. I think maybe the first park might have been like SoCal. Um, okay. So, oh yeah, uh, that one, the banky one. Yeah, or maybe Alameda. You know, that was definitely before Winchester. Mm. Yeah, like like a lot of times. Well, when the park started opening up, is when I was really getting into music. Okay. You know, and I was still skating, but not like hitting all the parks. You know what I mean? I'd go check it out or whatever, but really, I was practicing and really getting into music. You know, uh-huh. writing. For sure, you know, but, you know, it, it took money to go to the skate parks and pads and a ride and all that shit. You know what I mean? Mm. And I was saving money for bass strings and speakers and whatever. You know what I mean? For sure. So, you know, and it wasn't like I wasn't into it. It was just like I was totally into music, you know? Okay. So, um, but around then, Meekster, you know, like, so basically what I was, I'm getting at is when I started playing like rock and roll, uh, one of the first bands I played with was a Keith Meeks uh, older brother, Brett. And I remember Brett, like, you know, growing up and 
they would be making, you know, tinfoil, you know, uh, toilet paper bongs and shit. And oh, yeah. You know, the Hendrix bootlegs and playing Montrose and just like you know, a whole new world to me. You know, we used to use the aluminum can crush with the little foil over the poke the holes. <laughs> exactly, dude. Yeah. They were doing all that stuff, you know. Yeah. And um, just heckling neighbors. We had this one guy that lived by us, and uh, they would plug in a, a microphone into their stereo and turn the speakers at him and shit. Like same shit they were doing to me and my sister, you know. But like eight years later, they're still like that, you know. Ah. So, anyways, uh, he like he was actually a year out of high school when I was a freshman and um, they knew I played bass and they wanted me to play with them, you know? So it was like Pat Travers and some Zep, you know, and just that kind of stuff, you know? And it was like sixth or seventh grade or Uh, more like when I was a freshman, like ninth grade. Okay. High school. No, but I'd actually played in a band before that called shock treatment with some other dudes. And, and dude, the guy's, Sister actually worked for Jet Records, which was no a light orchestra, and they might have had Trick and a bunch of cool bands, you know, like new wave bands. But the singer we had was like a junior high singer, dude. You know, I probably didn't even have pubes yet. You know what I mean? He was like, gonna cut it, dude. You know, like so, like we were the drummers all, dude. We, you know, whatever with this band. You know? Where are you guys practicing in people's living rooms, garages? This guy had a garage, dude. Like the first guys, the shock treatment. We you know, put we up carpet. And- well, yeah, dude, he had a PA. The guy had a Marshall half stack. You know what I mean? Like we were impressed. There huh. was even a drum riser for the drums, you know? And we met his sister and she came in because, like I said, she worked for Jet Records. And uh, she would have an armful of records and giving us records. Hey, listen to what these sound like, guys, and get back to me, you know? Yeah. And she wanted to know, you know, it was like, Sounds like a 2020, like some kind of the power pop, like the knack, you know, that LA kind of, you know, stuff that was happening late mm. 70s, early 80s, whatever, you know. But we really thought like we had a chance of getting on this label, you know, like basically my first band, you know what I mean? <laughs> we like, got this. <laughs> seriously, but then we did this uh, thing it was on Channel 2B, which is a Gil Cable, <clears throat> and it was the Bobby Lopez talent show, right? Mm. Or Bob Lopez and his daughter, Bobby Lopez. Uh, was a presenter, you know, and, and we played on it. And we even had a couple originals, you know, we played a cheap trick and maybe kiss and a couple originals. Oh. And my sister made me this pullover and it was black and white leopard skin. I looked like Fred Flintstone dude, with some new wave glasses and a haircut, you know? Mm-hmm. And then like, the thing is, it's like, they showed it for years, dude, for like on late night when they didn't have nothing to show they uh-huh. would do that show. And like I would, public access or something? Yeah. You know, like even like in high school. Mm. Like, dude, hey, shock treatment. What's up? <laughs> but like, yeah. but then the, like the thing with like Meekster, you know, happening that kind of happened out of like a party band. And then, you know, we played this party and it was a bunch of dudes, you know, we're doing like punk rock or whatever, you know. And I remember getting wasted and going down on my knees and rocking out, you know, just whatever but then you know like hey let's make this like a real band and so you know it was mike fox this guy chris Mollerin, it's a great skater uh drummer and uh i guess uh mike voss and then uh keith meek you uh, went to school with all these guys yeah 
Well, okay. Mike Fox had already graduated. He graduated the He's first older. year. Tanner uh, Trees was open. Yeah, in 76, he graduated. Uh-huh. Meekster was a couple years older than me, like my sister's age, you know? Mm. And Mike Voss was my age. I've known him since junior high. And Chris Mullern was Meekster's age. But yeah, so we're like, dude, we wrote some music. We need a song, dude. And Meekster's all, I don't know how to write lyrics. Well, you better figure it out, dude, you know, or whatever. So they have Mike Fox, well, fuck it, let's go get an ice cream at Walgreens, you know? <laughs> we call it W. Al Greens. And so, <laughs> you know, or thrifties or whatever the fuck, you know? Yeah, 25 and, cent cone. Yeah, the double scoopers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> triple if you want, 18 cents or whatever. You know? yeah. but, uh, uh, they came back and he's like, I got a song. And well, what is it, dude? And he had just seen an Inquirer, you know, Inquirer magazine at their stand. Uh. And it said, uh, Jackie O on the go, you know, Jackie Onassis. Yeah. And so that was his song, Jackie O on the go, Jackie O on the go, Jet Setter, Jet Set. Like that was it. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> so, double yeah. platinum. Dude, so like it, whatever, you know, he was in the band for a minute there. And then, um, you know, he was living in Santa Cruz, you know, Keith Meek, right? Yeah. And, he uh, was living at SoCal, right? Or no? Yeah, he was at the skate park, but yeah, you know, and he was kind of just before he was turning pro, you know. I don't know, it was just hard for him. He'd get stuck in San Jose and have to sleep on a couch and whatever, just have his backpack with him, you know what I mean? So I think he's just all, yeah, I'm gonna stay in Santa Cruz, I'm gonna go for the skateboarding thing, you know. And then uh Mike Fox, who I had met, like the first time I met him was kind of funny, dude. Um, he used to work at this skateboard shop called Systems. Mm. And uh, it was a rad shop, dude. And this guy, Howard, that would he made our guitar cabinets for us. Um, and he actually made them for Black Flag and shit. Really good. Oh, right. Loud, you know. And uh, he, um, he actually made a zine, too, called Forget It. He did a lot of shit, dude. And, you know, I recently found out he was a really rad skater. But by the time I met him, I guess he'd broken his knee or ankle twice and then mm-hmm. kind of quit doing that. But he, he made skateboards and stuff, you know. But anyways, that's Howard, Howard Kavek, giving him props because he's like an underground legend. Shout know? out to Howard. Shout yeah, out. for real. Those guys, you know, knew Mofo from uh, Winchester. Okay. So Winchester ha- is, is open at this time. Now it's happening because there's like, was on their team or whatever. And, uh-huh. and then Mike Fox was like, hey, I, I know this dude from Winchester, Mofo. Was he Mofo then? He was he already Mofo? Mofo? was Mofo, you know. Oh, okay. <laughs> Did he work at Thrasher already or not yet? Well, th- this is like, okay, so this is what's going on. So um, I had met him. I remember he was like, <laughs> he was working at a record store in South San Jose. I think it was Rainbow Records or Record yep. Factory or something like that. Uh-huh. And, and this might have been 79, 80. And, and I knew about Joy Division, you know, and I finally got, you know, one of their records all crinkly import, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Bucks or whatever, you know, and, and I bring it to the counter and it's some dude with a bandana, a leather jacket, you know, and some buttons and stuff. And he's just all, uh, that's a good record. <laughs> and I'm like, I know. Like, what the fuck? You think, you know, I, I don't know, like we thought he was or whatever, you know, but uh, I just remember saying that to him, you know what I mean? Like I had to be punk too, you know. What I mean? Yeah. Well, he ended up being one of my best friends. Still is, you know. 
Ah. But yeah, and then when when Mike like brought him to practice, and I'm like, do you like the Rainbow Records, dude? You know, or something like that. You know, he's like, yeah, I did or something. You know, and like he didn't really talk to me much, and I was kind of intimidated. You know, and he had he had showed up with like binders full of lyrics, dude. You know, with pages sticking out, and I just was impressed. And when he went to take a leak, I took a look in there, and I'm just like, oh fuck, you know, like uh, yeah. A little dude, different dude, than the old Meekster, huh? Dude, yeah, it went from Meekster to Mofo, you know? <laughs> and then, um, yeah, like, we played some good shows together, you know? You know, did some recording. But right around that time is when he started working for Thrash. Right? Oh, so it's like seven, late 79-ish, probably, or early 80. Early 80s. Okay. Yeah. By the second issue, he was in. You remember BAM magazine? Mm-hmm. Bay Area music, Bay Area music, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were free, right? Yeah, they were those yeah, big, I like papery thing. ones. Yeah, yeah. I'm like why the fuck isn't this free? And how come it's so big? And how come it's not shiny like uh, uh skateboarder? You uh-huh. know what I mean? But it was really like just going, how come this isn't free? You know what I mean? Yeah. And when I first saw it, I looked at it. I thought it was cool, but like all those reasons came up, dude. You know, I wasn't yeah. rich. You know what yeah. I mean? A buck's a buck, you yeah. know? <laughs> then, like, the next time I went in there, I'm like, fuck it, you know? <laughs> like, but initially, I didn't buy it, you know? Right. And for those reasons. I kind of didn't like that it was big. Because uh-huh. you know I mean? BAMs were kind of a hassle, you know? Yeah. Usually, I had to fold them up to save them, you know? And then yeah. The ink and shit, you know, just, like, whatever. And it's the same as, like, collecting vinyl. Like, those three-quarter vinyls are cool, the 78s, but they're different. And then... Like when you're collecting shit, it's all out of whack. Like I like my shit like tight, like it's all the exactly. same size. Exactly. Yeah, no, I get that. I mean, even to this day, the first 10 issues are the big paper thrasher ones. And I'm wow. like, where the fuck do I put these? I got to put them in like a flatbed holder thing. Like, and the rest of them are all like perfectly, like, you know, in unison. Exactly. That's it should have been. I just think they should have did that from the beginning. Well, they had no idea what they were doing. Talk to Mofo was the first one to tell you. He's like, I we somebody gave me a fucking camera and I just shot it. Like I didn't know what I didn't know what an F stop was. I was like, this yeah. rolls. You know? Right. But you know, I was buying like a the New York rocker, uh damage, uh slash. You know, mm. there was a lot of underground punk like newspapers like that, you know, but they were thicker and they had a little bit more substance, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I could pay in a couple bucks because they came from overseas or from New York or whatever. But yeah. it was like the whole BAM theory, how like, why the fuck is that free? And this costs whatever, you know what right. I mean? Okay. But I'm a skater and I wanted it, you know what I mean? It, so then, you know, Mo started playing shows with us. And I think maybe the last show he played was the uh, Black Flag Riot. And what's I don't the, know what's the band? So the band was, uh, it was uh, Mike Voss. And Mike Fox on, on lead and rhythm guitar. Uh-huh. It was um like is this the original drunk engines or is this before was, that? This was Los Solidados. This is which was like, you know, Meekster was pre-Los Solidados, you know. We okay. didn't have a name yet, you know what I mean? He had Jackie O on the go, and maybe he had one more song. But we never like actually played any gigs or anything like that but we were starting to work on it. It kind of got the ball rolling. You know uh, what I mean? And then, and then Mike Fox brought in MoFo, and then we started practicing at Chris Mullerin's house, 
<laughs> then one day we showed up for practice and all of our gear was on the lawn. <laughs> I'm like, oh shit, I guess his mom doesn't want us to play. Anymore. <laughs> it was harsh. Dude. It was harsh. So then uh, we, we, my parents were cool and let us practice at our house, you know, and we turned the band, uh, the garage into a practice room because my and mom was a folks. Yeah, my mom was a school teacher and she had tons of books. Okay. And that was perfect, like for sound, you know, to, but we were loud, dude. You know, we were fucking loud. Do you remember one of the first songs that came together? Um, there's a song called Bad Kid. Bad Kid? Yeah. And that's a Los Olvidados song? Yeah, but I think it, you could probably find it on the Drunk Engines album. So Los Amidados with Mofo, we didn't really record anything, but those songs that we did with Mofo turned into Drunk Engine songs. So because like, so what happened was, is they told Mo, hey, look, dude, you're coming into work late, you know, every fucking day, dude, <laughs> we want you here at eight. And he was coming in or whatever, you know, and then then he would have to sleep on the couch to make it to work on time and just whatever, dude. It sounded kind of harsh, you know? Dude, he was like on Swenson's floor or like just oh, even dude. at the plant, just like. <laughs> right. You know, the time that I did go see him when he lived at Swenson's, mm. he was living on the kitchen floor, dude. And I'm like, fuck, I don't think this is like a very glamorous job, you know? <laughs> and the shipyards was cold, dude. Oh, fuck but, yeah. Dude. So like if he was sleeping on the couch, man, it's like Alcatraz or whatever, you know? <laughs> feel bad for him but they were going for it you know and they're partying a lot so i'm just like okay i can see this being like pretty rock and rollish you know what i mean so, so uh, he had to stop the band so he could stay at thrasher right they basically said it's the band or your job but within fucking weeks uh he came up with the drunk engines idea which was basically playing you playing those songs in masks you know and saying that we were from North Dakota. And we made up this whole backstory, dude. And our first gig, dude, we played on other it. people's gear. So people can go, oh, that's Ray's bass or whatever. Like we were playing on other people's gear. You know Oh, I mean? so there was, it was really undercover, like no trace. Exactly, dude. And I think, Smitty, one of those gigs, because there was the on Broadway on upstairs and the yeah. map downstairs. Yep. That Drunk Engines played upstairs and Los Soldados played downstairs so people couldn't put that together you know what I mean like did the little extra effort you know what I mean but anyways but nobody knew except KT KT knew he knew and he kept it under wraps because he knew us we'd played like his his brother um Steve Thatcher's parties in Los Gatos they have these parties out there it's pretty epic you know what about uh, Blackheart? Was he in the scene yet? Yeah, um, I'd see him here and th- here and there. You know, I didn't really get to know him till later. Uh-huh. You know, but I always had mad respect for him. You know, 
And all those guys are like incredible hecklers, dude. <laughs> I bet. You got to be able to hang, dude. <laughs> to this day, man. Seriously. Yeah. You, know, like you hang with my friends and like, oh, fucking watch out, raise here. But I ain't nothing compared to those guys, dude. <laughs> shut the fuck up when I'm around them, you know, or we're going to take notes. You know what I mean? And like uh, Matt Etheridge, he's one of the fastest, funniest. Just all those guys are really like uh, sharp, you know, besides uh-huh. having really good ears musically like Chuck, dude. Like, um, so that was the first band I ever produced. So I went to recording school in San Francisco and it used to be a studio where like uh, Big Brother and the Holding Company in Santana, like all those 60s SF bands. Uh-huh. It was called Coast Recordings. Oh, right? Where was that? It's on Harrison Street, like uh-huh. uh, third and Harrison. And one of my teachers, this guy, Fred Cotero, and dude, he produced like Santana. Like, dude, look him up, dude. The guy's amazing. You know okay. What I mean? Yeah. But his, uh, yeah, his whole thing was like, man, get the band tight, get it to sound good before you even put a microphone up, you know, get that sound, find that amp, make sure it's the right guitar, you know, and those guys could sing in tune and get them tight. You know what I mean? And, talk about what the song is and everybody have an idea of what's going on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. More of like a fluid thing and then find the right room for it. Hey, it might be outdoors. It might be a barn. It might be somebody's bedroom. You know what I mean? Like all that matters. You know what I mean? And then the microphones and then how hot you record it and then how you mix it. And then like, you know, the main thing about producing is to create a mood and sustain it that was his main thing and, and do, are you old enough to absorb that or are you just kind of like whatever we're gonna no, do our hell thing? No, dude. i mean i've been deep in music since i could hear okay you know, you know, like my grandpa you so know, you're like anxious to learn like this guy knows what he's talking about i gotta i gotta dude on the same token not everybody that knows what they're doing can teach right and a lot of those teachers sucked you know, some of them you could smell they've been drinking vodka for breakfast or whatever, you know what I mean? And just like, don't have any kind of plan. And really the way you learn is by doing it, you know, but really how does the band sound live? And that's mm-hmm. always been my bullshit detector, you know, like, look, that band's live. Great. It's going to be easy to work with them in the studio. Right. Not, because then it's still personalities and stuff. So right around then be where records started. Uh, ah. Did you ever know Brian? Yeah, yeah. The deluxe and all that? Yeah. That's where Beware came from, Brian Ware. Right. And uh, Terry worked for him, and she was super cool. And um, and I just graduated, and they're like, look, dude, we got a job for you, uh, McRad in Philadelphia. And one day they flew in, and, and <laughs> Thrash is all, oh, by the way, Drunk Engines, uh, McRad's using your gear. <laughs> Sort of like, okay, you know, and your re- re- rehearsal studio, you know, they just shoved him in there, and, you know. No and way. I, Did like, you okay. know who Chuck Treese was from skateboarding at that time or no? Barely. Like seen his picture on the cover, maybe, you know, or, you know, and it, I think I'd heard that record that came out before that. Uh, that is slipping my mind, but um, their first record. Yeah, the first one, the one that's got um, like Yo Tom Prevent That Tragedy, Dave. No, right, that's the one know. I produced. No way. Okay, that's the one. Yeah, Weakness. And Weakness, all that. yeah. Oh, Dominant Force. That's the name of their first record. Okay. And I maybe heard it once 
And somebody just said, oh, yeah, these guys are trying to be bad brains because they play a little bit of reggae and stuff, you know. Mm. That was all I'd known about them, but didn't like, judge them or anything. That's all I'd heard about, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they came into San Francisco. I didn't know what to do. Dude. It was my first job producing, you know. But then I just thought, well, what do we do at band practice to get tight? You know what I mean? So I would just go, okay, play a song. And they'd start playing. And as soon as I heard something, I would go, stop. Okay, just drums and guitar. And they looked at me like, what the fuck? Who's this guy? You know what I mean? And then, and then they'd do it. I'm like, stop. Okay, just drums. And then he'd play it. And I'm like, okay. And then they would all be all, oh, what are you doing there, Tommy? Or whatever, you know? He's like, oh, I've always done this. I'm like, no, that's not what you do. And you're like, yeah, Ray heard it. There was a mistake there. You know what I mean? Just little things like that. Just tighten it up, you know? Yeah. And I really had one day, you know what I mean? Whoa. So I spent like eight hours in the rehearsal studio with them, you know, and still they're kind of like, who the fuck is this? And then we're just, just chit chatting afterwards, just telling off, you know, and I'm like, Hey, can I see your guitar? And I started jamming on, on Chuck's guitar and Chuck's all, Oh, okay. You can play, huh? And I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm a musician. And just started talking about what he does. Oh, okay. Like they didn't let it, them know anything. And that was all like the finance through Beware. Yeah, Beware, which is basically high speed. So then, like my first day, you know, Beware, like what drops us off, like picks up the guys from the hotel. It's on Union Street. It's this guy Peter Miller, huh. and uh, the reason I picked Peter Miller because I did my research. You know, they said pick a studio. You know, was because of the Avengers oh. there <clears throat> was Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols. Sick. And he produced some stuff there. At the same place on Union? Yeah. And, that, oh. and that's why I went there. And that's actually where Junk Engines recorded too. Oh, um, rad. And he actually played in a band that used to open for the Beatles. So whatever, did whatever, to the left Tom, floor Tom, whatever, you know. And then I'm like, okay, dude, it's noon. Everybody take half an hour, go get some lunch, you know, be ready. You know, we're going to record as much as we can today, you know. And then so whatever, half an hour comes around, everybody's back except the drummer right <laughs> and i'm like what the fuck you know and this is before cell phones and shit you know yeah so you can dig up the phone number for the hotel call information call on it nobody picks up the phone you know what i mean and dude, this is like a producer's job is to produce whoa that was heavy i'm just like really like panicking now you know it's my first gig like we haven't even recorded nothing yet and i seriously go door to door down every store and shop on Union Street. And, you know, lingerie stores, dude, pizza places, anywhere. Where is the dude, you know? And then I open the door to a bar, and there he is. Poor dude is fucking passed out all the way at the end of the bar. And I'm like, no, dude, like <laughs> fucking everybody. Um, dude, so bum. So whatever I get him, sling him over my shoulder, drag him back, and he's kind of yelling at the dude. You know, I'm like, I'm bummed. You know what I mean? Because this is coming back to me, you know? So uh, you get back there, and then Chuck, it's how amazing he is. He's all, oh, I got it, dude. I'm like, what do you mean? He's all, play drums. I'm like, what do you mean? He's all, dude, I, I wrote all these songs. He's all, I, I know like what to do. The bass player and Chuck did all the basics and actually saved like two songs so John could do it the next day, the drummer, right? Uh -huh. So that's it. And I don't even know if he gets credited on that, but, but Chuck played about 99% of the drums on that McRoud album. Makes sense. He's so fucking multi-talented. Amazing. The, 
going back going back one little detail i i don't know if um we really clarified because in my mind los olvidados is drunk engines with a different singer is that mm -hmm. right so when mo went to thrasher did somebody come in to replace him and then you guys got the name los olvidados and, and did that record and then when well, that, mo that's pretty much exactly it and the guy that replaced him was the lead guitar player Mike Voss. Oh, that's Mike Voss. So you yeah. didn't get a new guy. He just stepped no. it up and started singing as well. Naturally. He's just like, I'll do it. And was amazing. You know what okay. I mean? I was a super great entertainer. And like, you know, I was telling my, my wife this the other day that the first time we played, so we had this instrumental called uh, Skate or Die. And it was on. You know, it was pretty rad, actually. So we did that as an intro. And this is at a place called Briner Hall, like in downtown uh, Campbell. And I look over at Mike Fox. And I'm like, where's Mike? Like, I don't see him. Like, where is he? And Mike's, I'll just play. You know, and I started the, you know, the bass intro or whatever. And then Voss comes in the window behind the drums. Like, it's just some hall show. But that was his <laughs> big entrance, dude, from behind the drums through the window outside, dude. And I'm like, whoa, like immediately I'm blown away, you know, immediately. And then he started wrapping his arm up and like shooting the microphone up and just doing like Iggy Pop and Stiv Baders and Dead Boys and like super entertaining. Oh. And nobody had even seen that dude. And when I played, I watched him. You know what I mean? Because he was so entertaining. And then the other thing that I learned recently was a lot of the lyrics were written by Mike Fox. Mm. Most of them are written by Mike Fox. Who's another talented fucking amazing guitar player? Yeah, playing drums. It is really good on drugs, you know. Really, for, Mike Fox is. Yeah, oh, yeah. I never yeah. knew that. So a lot of people are like going, "Fuck, I'm bored of guitar. I'm playing drums now or whatever," you know. Like, mm. And then, like I said, Mo was just like, "Fuck, man, I still want to play." And then we got Drunk Engines going kind of at the same time. But know? how long was it from the the? When Los Ovidados got together, how long was it from that moment till you guys played your first gig? Maybe not that long. Maybe probably about six months or so, you know. We did some woodshedding, but, you know, like we, we just like to practice a lot. You know what I mean? And, and were all those songs created with this nucleus or were some of them with Mo that you guys just took as he left or, or no? Well, um, you know, like one of the first gigs, I don't know if you remember, there was a zine called the Punk Globe, and it was this chick, Ginger Coyote, right? And she actually had a sex change. Her name used to be George. Okay. And really big, you know. Oh, I don't know that one. You know, and um, it's funny, dude, because she really loved soap operas, <laughs> and she really loved punk rock. And, and here's the funny thing. Shady. Like we all do. <laughs> the thing is, it was like, she would put a lot of that in her zine, but a lot of those people and from Hollywood and soap operas would come visit her and hang out, dude. Like through her, I met Ed Asner. I met Matt Dillon, <laughs> countless like uh, soap opera people there, like all the time. Oh, like, okay. And uh, I remember once even, and this didn't have anything to do with her, but I was upstairs at the on Broadway and Rick James cruised upstairs did no doubt it was him and he had two chicks on each you know arm and they oh. both like high school prom queens or whatever yeah and, dude i remember he was drinking wine right and at the time 
you know, we just like to bum people out. You know what I mean? So we were smoking cigars. You know what I mean? And just people hate that. You know what I mean? Like, mm, oh, the big smell. Yeah. yeah. You know, just whatever. Just get people bummed, you know? And so I would go buy those really nice cigars. They came like in uh, vials, like test tubes. Right? And like, whatever. And then, you know, Rick James walks by. And then and my friend, I remember, he went up to him. He's all, hey, Rick, what do you think about punk rock? Like, because he talked really fast. And, and Rick's all, without skipping a beat, got to have it. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And then he set his wine down and walked out. Then I'm like, fuck, grabbed his wine and I, and I poured it in that vial and put it in the cup or the cap on. Then went home, put a piece of cake, Rick James's wine. <laughs> and I had it forever, dude. And eventually it dried up and it was still red, but I still had it forever, dude. That's awesome. But dude, that's the way like shit would be there. You know what I mean? And yeah, I, even before that, it was even like crazier, you know, before I got into punk because the map was like the West Coast, you know, CBGBs. Or whatever, or at least San Francisco. You yeah, know? the Mab in on Broadway. That was, yeah. you know, so was, much. actually the Gavin O'Brien about punk rock. Like he's all L.A. punk rock, huh? L.A. was the best punk rock, and I'm like, no, oh, dude, and SF was. You yeah. know, I really love the Avengers. I mean, they were badass. You know, and you watch that Sex Pistols show, that last show in Winterland, they fucking blew away the Pistols. You know, yeah. what I mean? they were really deal and really saying something. Did you go to Winterland? No. I never went to that, but um, I know Mike was to that show. and uh, That was before me, too. Yeah, it was, I, I missed a lot of early stuff, dude, but believe me, I had the magazines and stuff and knew what I was missing. You know what I mean? I, I listened to a lot of, uh, you know, FM radio and KFJC and stuff and was totally down with a lot of stuff for a long time before. Um, I bought a lot of records at Tower. and Yeah, same. Was your dad's name Ray Stevens? Yeah, but not okay. the singer. Because there's a the, this guy Ray Stevens that sings everything is beautiful, and A have the A rab and guitar Zan and the streak and he did a lot of novelty songs, and there was a big time wrestler named Ray Stevens. Oh, really? Yeah. And dude, his big opponent was Pat Patterson. Oh uh, yeah. And all my life, I would hear that shit. Hey, where's Pat Patterson? You better watch out, Ray, or whatever. Or, hey, everything is beautiful, or whatever. And I'm just like, yeah, okay, dude. So, <laughs> neither one of those. You know? But so that's why you're RS2, because your dad's yeah, RS1. Yeah, he was the second. Okay. Yeah. Got it. The first time I went to Yuvis Dam, I don't know if you ever went to Yuvis. Yeah. <clears throat> but that's a Bay Area legend. It's still there. Yeah, yeah. Um, that I think it was at the Meekster or whatever. And my dad had a deal with us, like, if we did yard work or a certain amount of work, that he would drive us places instead of us take the bus and get stuck and him having to come pick us up anyways, you know? Um, so he took us out to Yuvis. Mm. <clears throat> and I remember there was huge letters, <clears throat> and it said, no skateboarding, you know, this huge, like, 20-foot letters, dude. And then some smart ass went out there with some spray paint and put, go skateboarding you know the g over the n you know ah. and i'm like oh this is punk oh okay this is like this is what skateboarding is really about you know what i mean like yeah this little thing changes the whole meaning right but, um but i do remember that being hard as hell to skate dude and mm. blackheart and kt going all the way down dude like all like into the water if they want you know what i mean so and sick. it's like it Still to this day, that's like impossible, you know. Huh. These fucking pinner ass boards, 
Yeah. You know, I remember a buddy years later, because he worked for Motorbelt, and every time he would hit that tranny, the base plate would break. You know, and we'd always go, well, these are better or whatever. But I mean, Uvis is no joke, dude. Just like Bruno's bake. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Ah, but downhill and fucking rocks and tan bark or whatever, you know, dead frogs, you know. I'm guessing it's Winchester, but what's your first, like, how do you become aware of the phenom Steve Caballero? Caballero, Steve Caballero. Um, so I get this Caballero. Buddy, yeah. So I got this buddy named uh, Ray Yeh, and he owned the Uptown, and he was in a band I played in a while, and he's like, really super good guy, skater, musician, everything. And um, he's a doctor now. But um, at the time, he had two ramps. He had a big U ramp and then a mini ramp. And that's, he ended up giving that to me. And that oh. was my ramp. Besides having the pond, I had a mini ramp. I had a little complex, you know. The, oh, sick. You know, you know like. Where uh, was that? Uh, South, South San Jose, like uh, Santa Teresa Cottle area. Okay. And um, like we went to Burnell Junior High, Santa Teresa High School. Was yeah. it down by Montague kind of or no? No, nah, further south. Further. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Way south. Because. Montague is actually like North San Jose. Oh. And where we lived is like Morgan Hills, the next town. Like almost to Gilroy. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's south. You know, it's out there. Uh, um, but um, yeah, there was like, uh, we would find pools, you know what I mean? Like backyard pools. There was a lot of uh, ditches we would find, you know what I mean? Like, like I said, I had ramps, you know, we had a little wooden lean two things. I had a power box. You know, in a PG&E box, that we put a piece of plywood in front. And, and Meekster and I would hit that, you know. And right before you get to it, you would say a skater's name, Greg Weaver. And you had to fucking get the Greg Weaver style, grab the nose or whatever. Tony Alva, Jay Adams, whatever, Bob Ear, you know, Biniac or whatever, you know. Uh-huh. That was like, that was really early, like, knowing that you had to have style. You know what I mean? And it wasn't like just what you wrote or whatever, but. Yeah, about what's better, OJs or Road Wilders forever. Not, not even know it's the same company. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Just like, yeah. Or you know, I remember meeting um Jeff Ho once, uh, and buying a Zephyr, like before there was Z Flex, you know, or or Zephyr. He made these wooden seven ply boards mm. that had water, which is a low center of gravity one, you know, mm-hmm. from surfboards. And Meekster and I went to Gremmick for the very first time. And we almost got hit by a car. We were so excited. We ran across the street. And as soon as we go in the shop, they start yelling at us. We're almost getting hit by a car. And we're like, what the fuck? You should be welcoming us, you know? Yeah. A couple seconds later, Jeff Ho walks in with a bunch of boards, you know? And, and we knew who he was already from buying surfer magazines, dude. Because we were so hungry. There was only one skate magazine available to us, at least, you know? We didn't know about skateboard world or whatever, you know, mm. uh, but we could buy surfer or surfing or whatever. And all of those, the way those guys stood and shit was like really important to us, dude. You know, like style was big. Yeah. You know, really big. And um, so when we saw Jeff Ho, we already knew about rocker and low center of gravity and shit from reading stories in Surfer Magazine and stuff. And dude, really reading every word of Skateboarder Magazine. You know, uh-huh. fucking Val surf ads and know when something came up 25 cents, you know, we would know the price changes on those catalogs, the little words, everything, dude. But um, 
So yeah, like I bought one of those boards and I loved it, dude. And I remember Meekster was all, he had a Logan. He's all, hey, would you sign my board? And Jeff's hose all, a Logan? You know, like, why do you want me to sign that, dude? Buy one of my boards and I'll sign it, you know? Yeah. But wait, so how did you meet Cab, though? Hmm. <laughs> Ray Yay. Sorry, dude. It's going to happen a lot, dude. I was like, wait, I know Cab's going to pop up in the backyard if a possession or something. It matters to get him out of that story. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so Ray Yay told me one day, he's all, dude, this guy Steve Caballero is coming over. And I'd never heard of his name. Like at that point, I wasn't really skating the parks. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But going over to Ray's house and skating every now, you know what I'm saying? Just kind of casual. And, uh, and I, that, I'm not sure if I met Steve that day or saw him skate that day. Um, but like one of the first Los Soldados gigs, um, we heard about a pool that night, the Los Soldados guys, right? And then it was, uh, it was by Capital Drive-In. Uh, fuck, I forget the name of the pool. But um, like it matters now. But um, so we get there and we hear people skating, right? And we're like, oh, shit, locals are here. Well, fuck it. You know, we're going to skate this pool. So we hop the fence and it's Corey, Gavin, Graham, John Insco, Cab, Bosch. There's a crew there, at least six of them. You know what I mean? Right. Like, uh uh-oh. And they're like, whoa, what are you guys doing here? And we're just trying to play it cool. We're like, "Uh, yeah, somebody told us about this pool, you know? Like, dude, rad show last night. Yeah, man, we all went to your show. We're like, oh, shit. Like, we were totally welcomed. You know what I mean? Instead of it being like vibes, they were super cool. Uh-huh. And they were stoked that Los Soldados was at their pool, you know? And we were stoked we're at some pool where everybody was cool, you know? And Cab was one of those guys there. And, uh, and then he started hanging out with the band and hopping in our van as like a roadie when we would go to shows. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Early on. And then one of those other guys, Eric Bosch, whose brother Craig later joined and played drums in the faction, um, started being our roadie, you know, and going to a lot of shows with us and Cal would go to a lot of shows with us. Huh. And, and, you know, one day Cal's like, Hey, they, um, I'm going to start a band, you know, can you help us? You know, and I went over to uh, Bosch's uh, house and I think they were called like a, missing children or forgotten children or something like that. I had, they had stickers before they even had a song. <laughs> I had one of their stickers, you know, and um, I went over there and they were pretty bad. You know what I mean? But I'm just like, okay, try to play this, try to play this. And just kind of just left them alone. Basically would tune their guitars up and sit around and kind of let them do their thing, you know? And, um, and they went through all their different, you know, versions and, um, you know, pretty soon they had a band, you know, that had a lot of different versions, like the early faction, the drummer ended up playing guitar and just different people coming and going, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it's still in Los Obidados. And then when Los Obidados broke up, you know, Stevie had just been to Japan with uh, Pal Team and he bought a Walkman and he had a cassette of the Adolescents, you know, the Blue Album classic, right? Yeah that two guitar sound and he's all that's what the faction needs two guitar and let's get Ray Stevens to play bass you know what I mean and it was pretty funny because this guy at Craig uh, Ramsey who used to be in the Kingpins uh, the drummer and he had his own zine the manager for the faction 
And he would just randomly send me packages of faction stickers or whatever. And then finally, he just gave me a phone call because he was managing the factions. I'll, hey, Ray, factions thinking about going to, you know, two guitars. You know, would you be interested in playing bass? I'm like, well, can I put out records and tour? Which is what Los Olvidados never got to do. You know, that album didn't come out till 20 years later. Yeah. Like, like Jello wanted to it, put it out. It only came out on D, on CD, right? It never came out on vinyl or is there? No, it came out on vinyl. It was just a oh. small run. It sold out quick. Uh-huh. But Jello originally, that I didn't find out till way later, wanted to put out Los Olvidados like as his first release, like on alternative tentacles. Like Jello loves Loso. Uh. He would jump on our van and get a ride home because he lived, I don't know, by the airport or something. Jello? Yeah, he would hang out when we'd play and just kind of go, hey, can I get a ride home? Like knowing that we were going that way. You know what I mean? And I, I don't know. He's just always been cool with this. But what I'm saying is he would have released a record then. Back in the day, which yeah. I think would way change things for Loso. I don't know. Maybe not. Whatever. I don't know. You know, yeah. but, but whatever. So, um, you know, that the, the Record finally came out 20 years along with Ruben on the cover. Right. And um, whatever, the the faction was cool. You know, they, and then they asked, What were your thoughts on the faction? Like, as they, um, when the first album, when their first album comes out, are you kind of like, This is like, is it kind of like Steve Caballero's, this big pro skater and the band is getting acknowledged through that? Or are you like, These guys are good? Well, dude, I mean, I didn't necessarily think they were good, but I thought, I mean, like when they first started playing, dude, they were scrappy as hell. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And when Los Obedados first started playing, we weren't because we uh-huh. would shed it a lot. You know, I'm not blowing smoke or nothing. I'm just saying that we were tight. You yeah. know what I mean? Really hard, like I said, like on our sound and got the amps right and got everything right. And luckily we had good singers, you know? Um, but, you know, like I would tease a faction that, Adam used to have this amp called the Bullfrog or as a cabinet. And it was like fiberglass and it was 300 pounds, dude. It was heavy, you know? <laughs> and he had That's this, Adam bomb, right? Right. You know, and, and he had a Marshall, which was cool. He had an SG, which was cool. But I mean, listen to the AUK. <laughs> I mean, really it's classic and people don't even care, but like we wanted to hear like chunk, you uh-huh. know what I mean? At least like ACDC sound. And I know that's what Adam liked too. But that wasn't the sound they were getting. He couldn't, yeah. What's crazy to me though is like there we just cover we just that was a lot of information already that we just talked about, but it was in a short period of time. I mean, this is the beginning of skate rock. Like Mo basically created skate rock and put together that first uh compilation with Los Olvidados. I don't I think the faction was on the first one, right? Or Oh. Yeah. So yeah. like all that's happening, like what, like 1981 or something. Oh, it's that just... was like when that came out it was 83, 83. Yeah. Okay. So shit had been going on already, you know, and I know uh, JFA had been doing their shit. And for JFA and big you know boys. I mean? Right. Big boys, JFA, you know, those guys were doing their shit without actually calling it skate rock. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Even though, yeah, there's skateboards on the cover and whatever. They and weren't a- saying aggression. Were they pretty early? Um, that's a good question, dude. I'm not really. Sure I, I gravitated. I didn't know who they were, but I saw that album cover, and I was like, "I need it." Yeah, what is this? I got to yeah. get it. Skateboarding you know I mean? on the cover is like fine. 
back and, then. And I, at that point, I was just buying anything that even sounded weird. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh, China White? What's that? I better check that out. Step right. or just whatever, you know? Like, hey, and you just go, oh, it's on Posh Boy. I guess uh. it's going to be good. You know what I mean? Oh, it's on TSL's label or whatever. You just kind of put shit together or like, oh, that guy produced it. I was always looking at producers who produced it. You know, at least it's going to sound good or it might sound like this. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not sound like that at all. You know what I mean? But just always have like a kind of open mind about what you're going to listen to, you know? And I think that's like what San Francisco punk did for me because there's so much weird shit, dude. You know, yeah. Flipper, Mutants, fucking just so many like weird bands that you would see and then like eventually kind of like you uh-huh. know, sleepers and whatever like some shits it's fucking way more downer than joy division and shit you're like fuck it's coming from sf this yeah is you know what i mean yeah it's like sleep sleep is from san jose you know like some heavy shit has come out of this area the whole bay area that, hell you know? yeah i mean when i was like in high school we would take the bus up to the farm every week and it was like verbal right. abuse DRI and those two bands would play almost every week. And then there would be like five other bands. And that's how you kind of would discover like false prophets are coming through town, whoever bad brains want, you know, you're like psyched, but like verbal abuse must've played like a gazillion times, you know, it it was insane. But uh, was there a single incident that like, the rug got pulled under from you guys. Um, like I know in the beginning, drunk engines was like only KT knows, but is there some, somehow it leaks out and kind of everyone found out at one point or did it just gradually or like, you know, the the trash, uh, column, uh, you know, whatever Stessic and and Mo would just throw in whatever it literally trash, you know? And, and Mo, like after that first gig thought it'd be fun to say, Hey, the drunk engines died in a seven <laughs> wagon pile up or whatever. You know? <laughs> and then the next time we played, it was all, oh yeah, well, the sons of the drunk engines came out and played for their dads and they got hurt and whatever. Just the story. People believe it. You know what I mean? Like fucking everybody would believe it. Cause you don't really know. Or it's just real or true or it's trash, but what is trash? You know what I mean? It's, and Mo it's, had the power of the mag, but like, do people put together that it's connected or not at all? Uh, I think, I mean, like the checks were even sent to Ron Hadley who was in beyond possession in Canada. And then he would send them back to MoFo or something like, like elaborate. Whoa. You know what I mean? yeah. Like really like trying to, cause Mo didn't want to get fired. You know mm. what I mean? And, it, and if you think about it, that if the mag would have been cool, you know, from the get-go, they could have way capitalized on it, you Mm -hmm. know, instead of it being like some big secret or whatever, it could just be some other arm of uh, Thrasher's, you know, ability to promote and whatever, you know? Well, the, I mean, the priority is always skateboarding though with those guys. Like it's like music. We put two pages in the mag, but it's like they, they, they want, you know, Mo's got to be there on time and all that. Those are the stories I kept hearing is like, Mo would show up late. I mean, Mo was telling me some funny shit. At that time, it was so early, like nobody thought about like, we better get these people to sign. Like nobody has the rights to any of that stuff. That's yeah. why like there's some amazing that first, like, what is it? Six to eight different cassettes. Like imagine just having 
produced that and having the rights to it, like that, some of that shit is so epic and iconic. I mean, it's, it's been played in our ears through all, all the years in the sessions, yeah. Kennedy warehouse, you know, it's like, yeah. I, I don't know if you know, uh, Schmitty, but at one point I sat down with Fausto for hours uh, interviewing to be editor for Thrasher. Oh, no. At one point, I, I don't know, you know, like While KT was there. Well, it was when Phelps was there. And I don't know if Fausto just wanted to scare Jake or like just really give him the option, like, do you want to be here, dude? But he interviewed me for the job. What do you think, Colin? We talked about a lot of ideas, you know? Mm. And one idea I had was like, hey, in the middle of the mag, make it turn into Thrasher for girls. You know what I mean? But if it was 50 50, dude, half of our planet is women, right? Chicks right. are finally accepted in skateboarding now. Yeah. But it was like 20 years ago that I talked to him, you know, at oh. least. And I was super honored that he's even talking to me, that I'm, you know, they're even considering me, you know. But like ultimately, it just it wasn't for me. And, you know, even when I worked for Santa Cruz, they kind of had the same kind of idea, even though they did have like a little division for girls, it was super small. But I'm just all, dude, why are you ignoring half the sales? Well, whatever. Maybe that's just out there thinking or whatever, but no, but being out there and especially like you worked at the skate park, you worked at Greer for a while. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, that was such a place where all kinds of people would come through and you would see girls. Come. I mean, there were girl skaters when we were kids. No, it's not just happening now. Like they've been around. It was just like, now it's becoming accepted. Right. And but we always thought the girls were rad, like the girls that could like come in and have style and like carve the bowl and stuff. You're like that. I mean, it was cool. It was always like it's it's a slippery slope to even talk about some of this stuff. But like even with racism and everything, like we always talk about, like, I mean, me and pastors were talking about it. It was like Javante wasn't a good black skater. He was just a good skater. Like we didn't look at it like that, you know, and like. I mean, that's a huge discussion and a rabbit hole and everything, but like, well, I mean, and you can't just say like, Oh, a skater is like this these days. Cause it's just like saying, Oh, a guy that drives a car is obvious like this. It's like, dude, every kind of person skates, but, right. but I don't know, but getting back to like skateboarding, you know, like when I lived in San Francisco, man, I had a great time because got to skate, you know, like the, you know, Bruno's banks and beacons, yeah. And, I didn't even know you lived in SF. That's cool. Yeah, for for probably about two years. Did you hang out with Steve Olson at all, or yeah, you... yeah, dude, he lived right around the corner. You know, was he cool? What what would you guys get into? Was he because he was was that before or after he was in a band for a little bit, right? He was in at that point. He was in a band called Cowboy Zero, and and he's the one who showed me that pink is punk. You know what I mean. <laughs> He'd be wearing hot pink shirts and stuff. Rad. Being Cousin's punk. Okay. <laughs> what else? What, can you get to argue that, you know? Um, and then he, uh, there's this guy named Sothera. He used to be in Crucifix. Uh, and Bryce Knights used to play bass in Crucifix. That's right, yeah. Um, that uh, Sothera lived with Olsen. But yeah, we'd go to a, a lot of parties. Dude, I remember like skating uh, Bruno's Banks. Like seriously, we're, he could barely talk like super drunk and I could barely stand and do the, the parking lot for Bruno's is potholes. It's yeah. all messed up. And he had those big like city street wheels, you know, and a long board, the SOS board. 
and was doing fucking G turns at the top, dude. Or slamming that curb, or and then he'd come back and he'd be all, <laughs> 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 he couldn't even talk, dude. You know, or, or like they're following him down, like mission, like on the sidewalk, and he's cutting into stores and zipping by baby carriages and stuff. And I can't keep up. No way. I got to get on the street and mess with buses and stuff because I can't. He's like, it's like a cartoon, dude. Oh, wow. Really great, you know, like, um, but he would, he loved music, dude, and like showed me uh, Louis Jordan. Uh, we'd listen to Prince together. Yeah, he liked a lot of different stuff, like me, you know. Eclectic, huh? Exactly. Nice. And that's what I love, you know what I mean? Because I can't listen to punk rock or metal all day or whatever. Same. You know, I, I could spend days getting into it, but then I got to, you know, check some other shit out. Yeah, you know? I, I, my records are all over the map. I got so many different styles. I mean, from reggae to rap to rock to punk to right. classic jazz, you know, there's all kinds of stuff like the, everything. Every genre has something amazing. Seriously. You know, like every yeah. genre has good musicians playing something really. Have you ever heard of Mahavishnu Orchestra? Oh, yeah, yeah. That shit blows my mind. Yeah. It's kind of like Rush on Acid or something. Just like fucking <laughs> kick ass, fucking crazy instrumentals and stuff. Yeah. No, that's that's some stuff that you go out there with it, dude. It's perfect for painting or just whatever. Yeah. Chill. Playing with your dog or whatever, you know. Like, How many gigs do you think you've played with every band you've been in and stuff? Like, it's got to be like gazillion. Yeah, I really don't know, man. Because yeah. I've been playing professionally, like getting paid to play uh-huh. since fourteen. Fourteen. Yeah. My first gig was like, because um, I knew how to play trumpet and I knew how to play bass, and it was for like some Easter Sunday gig at some church they came to the school they said hey we need trumpets and bass players and me and my buddy were the only guys that wanted to do it and um yeah i think i got paid like 50 bucks for bass and 25 for trumpet or something they did some amazing when you're young and i just had to go to two practices and it was seriously two or three super easy christmas songs you know and then um los obidados started playing around the same time Ah. One of our first gigs was at the Hotel St. Clair, this little lounge. And I remember my mom and dad went and they had those little round tables. They're sitting there you know, with their cocktails and we were right in front of them. And I don't know what they were thinking, but we were loud as fuck. And, and the owner came over and he's just all, oh, hey, you guys got to turn down. And I look over at Mike Fox and he mouths to me, turn up. <laughs> So we turned up and then the guy came back with our money and paid us. He's all, okay, guys, good night. You know? And then the, the next time we came, <clears throat> he taught me this other technique. So the guy comes over. Amazingly, they're going to let us play again, but we're supposed to turn down, right? He comes over, tells us to turn down. And then Mike showed me this thing called the ghost knob, which is you put your fingers around the knob, but you don't touch it. And you just turn down like that. And the guy will be like, uh, Oh, okay, perfect. Good. Like you turned it down, but you didn't. You're just ghosting it. That's the best. <laughs> but you're not good. It's good. Okay, cool, dude. <laughs> but once again, we got paid to not play. And um, which is some of the first games, just like. What's one of the all time favorites? Um, that's funny, dude. I was thinking about that. And 
I think usually it's like parties, you know what I mean? Because people are like right in your face, you know, and, you know, Charlie's I think, ramp. <laughs> yeah, something like that, you know, Steve Hex, you know, or uh, just some random birthday party, some guy's garage, you know, like, you know, that that's the stuff that I remember because people are right there, you know, and but there's not something like you're like, dude, we got to play with ACDC or, you know, like what one show where you're like, we're going to Vegas to play with Descendants or, you know, whatever. Well, I mean, like with that, I think like I kind of got like impressed and with all the rock star stuff like early on uh-huh. and then like, OK, they're either like good live or they're not. It doesn't matter that there's 20,000 people here or 1000 or 100 or 10. Like how it's planned, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. for me personally, the bigger the stage is, the harder it is for me to hear. You know, if you think oh. about, you know, Cab or whoever who's usually right here is now way the fuck over there, <laughs> counting on this monitor to hear him, uh-huh. the monitor to hear the kick and the snare. You know what I mean? You want to be entertaining and, and walk around the whole stage, but chances are you have to stick around your base and to hear it. Okay. You know it's not always luxury. Dude. The big stuff isn't like better. You yeah. know what I mean? And uh. even for the fan, it doesn't mean like it's going to sound better. I've always tried to play like better than the last show. Personally, that's always my goal. You know, the last time I actually played was with clay wheels mm. uh, for a man party. And I had just got out of the hospital with COVID and um, it, it really took everything I had dude. And I, I was probably about 80%. Oh. where I was like feeling dizzy and couldn't really sing loud enough and stuff like that. And my bass, which is an old guy, 78, it's heavy, you know, it's probably about 15 pounds or I don't know. It's pretty heavy. Um, and that after a while it, it took its toll, you know right. what I mean? So like, I know like what I'm used to expending on a show and what I can now, and it's part of getting old too. You know what I mean? And plus there's the memory, you know, like lyrics are hard for me, dude, for uh, my hands, like magically will go to the right notes usually, or I'll figure it out pretty quick. Mm. My brain will go, okay, it's an A or G or whatever, you know, Mm. like lyrics, (laughs) I'll repeat whole verses if I have to, dude. You You know, I don't really get to skate anymore. Like I'm pretty much down to one eye. And, um, I know some people can do it, but I just, have a hard time with dimensional kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Right. Can't really drive anymore. So there's a lot of different limitations, you know, that mm-hmm. I have now as I get older, but, but I, I do look back like, like right now, you know, like with so much like fondness and, and love, you know, from my friends. Mofo said to ask you who broke your favorite base. <laughs> Fly. Robert Shoffley. <laughs> well, it might have been Mo. You know, I don't know. I guess one day he he broke. He he came into my house with a bunch of dudes, and I I I guess all the ones I remember is him and Fly, and they thought they could just have a jam out or whatever. Yeah. Somebody set my bass down or didn't set it down, and it went down on the neck, and one of the tuners was bent. Still is to this day. You know what I mean? Did you want to talk a little bit about your COVID experience? Well, dude, all, all I could say is this, you know, and I, I was thinking about like what, you know, I wanted to tell people is that, you know, your health is wealth and we all have our own genetic problems. 
You were in the emergency room for a while, right? Oh, dude. Uh, well, see, here's the thing is I have diabetes. And this is really kind of where it started. You know, and I, I got it when I was about 35. And um, I never really knew that my family had it, you know. Oh. And, you know, they're usually like short, fat Mexicans, you know. And I was actually the one in shape, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> it's kind of weird. Um, but I guess I did drink a lot of beer, too. So, uh, um I got it when I was 35 and then, you know, I had some different problems along the way with my feet and different infections and stuff like that, that I ended up in the hospital a few times. And then eventually, you know, probably about three years ago, um, they found out that I only had 8% of my kidneys working. So that's out of both kidneys, dude, only 8%. And the doctor like ran to the other room and got me some pills. I saw him run, dude. He's all, take these right away. And he's all, you need surgery, you know? So the next day, you know, my wife and I got married. The next day I got on her insurance. And the next day I was in the hospital, you know, for kidney, you know, treatments. And then they're all, dude, you need to be on dialysis, which is the worst ever, dude. I wouldn't want my worst enemy on it. It's really horrible. Side effects. Oh, yeah, dude. It's just like you feel like you have the flu, you know, after every time you, you have it, you know, both ends. you know, like if you had plans, you got to change them. You know what I mean? And um, I, I had to miss the first time ever I've had to miss a gig. I was supposed to go down and play for Alan Losey and I only oh. made it to Gilroy. And I'm like, yeah, I can't do it. Luckily, Cavalero plays bass. So he subbed in for me and they were a four piece and they got to do it, you know, and I'm so glad because if I would have had, if they would have had a cancel, I would have felt horrible, yeah. you know, it felt horrible enough, um, but it, it was pretty bad. So, so then finally my wife saw, you know, God bless her, you know, cause she saved my life so many times. Uh, she um, said, we need to get you a kidney, you know, and I got on this waiting list because like 10 years. Okay. So we're talking 10 more years of dialysis, you know? Mm. Oh man, I don't know if I could pull it, you know? She checks it out and she's able to give me her kidney, which is just beyond miraculous, Schmitty. That doesn't happen. You know what I mean? So um, anyway, so we get the kidney transplant. It's a good like six months of recovery. You know what I mean? It was really hard, really hurt, um, but I'm good. And then we went to get our COVID shots and I'm convinced that's where I caught COVID because originally I went to the fairgrounds in Santa Clara. There's mm. a good 500 people there, you know, a lot of them coughing or whatever. And I was fully masked up. But when I got to the front of the line, they're like, Oh, you had a kidney transplant, bro. You got to go to Levi stadium and get the, the shot there, which they were able to line up that day. But still it originally took me six months or some crazy thing, you know, anyways, so I go, I get it that day and I think I'm going to be waiting outside in the grandstands, you know, after I get my shot, but they have us in this one like kind of VIP lounge room. I didn't feel really good about. And I don't know if it was the shots or whatever, but the next day I started feeling really bad, you know, like seriously the next day and for the next week, barely hungry, super tired, could barely breathe. Uh, My wife took me to Stanford and they're like, Oh, you're good. To my wife and they're like you're not you're staying here and they took me to icu immediately dude and they're rolling out dead bodies dude 
it got heavy like instant, instantly. Dude. Really hard, but it did scariest. You know what yeah. I mean? It, the antibiotics they had me on and the steroids and shit would just give me psychotic, crazy terrors. You know, not it, even it, like, especially at a time where nobody really knows any, like what's going on anyway. Like you know, and then to be caught up. How long were you in there? Twenty-seven days. Yeah, a long time, dude. I remember yeah. seeing little photos and stuff. Like you were getting a lot of love, yeah, dude. That that really pulled me through, dude. I felt like but, you told me that that like a lot of uh, feeling those vibes like really dude, helped. It's it's real, you yeah. Know? I was really good friends with Mark Waters, you know, and I oh. still am. I still love that guy. I miss him me so too. much. Yeah, same. I, I couldn't believe when he passed, you know. And, and dude, I thought of all of my friends that have passed, you know, skaters and musicians and stuff, you know, and just felt like they didn't want to see me yet. You know what I mean? Like where that where that is, whether it's heaven, hell, universe or whatever, like it just wasn't my time yet, you know. Mm. And, um, and I had a lot of really weird thoughts and, you know, a lot of really dark times in there, like literally couldn't see people's faces with the masks and on their suits and stuff like that but my kidney doctors would come see me and they would tell me we want you to make it right you know we want you to get well you know and just just random nurses you know like they have these nurses called travelers you know i met guys from rwanda you know people from georgia people from nova scotia just like all over the world you know some of the nicest people i've ever met you know what i mean i still don't even know their first names and like you got to fight for your life you know, and one thing that I did, dude, was I wouldn't listen to, like, uh, any music that I knew. I would just listen to new music. And I just uh -huh. kept it on that tip to keep my brain stimulated. Because right. it didn't even matter if I listen to Slayer or Metallica or fucking The Carpenters. If the shit would make me sad. I would just get melancholy about anything. Right. Know? Like, fuck, I'm never going to see them again or whatever. But if I listen to something new, I'd be like, hmm, what are they doing? you know, or whatever, or just get tips from friends about yeah. it with a new record or whatever. Cause I didn't never turned on the TV and I barely watched any YouTube or whatever. You know what I mean? Last thing you want to do is watch the news. That's it. That, <laughs> I didn't want to get any of that influence. Yeah. You know what I mean, I got to stay positive. Right. Is like listen to jazz or some out there KFJC shit or Mahavishnu or whatever stimulating stuff, you know. That's but, a really yeah. good uh philosophy, dude. That's a good mind uh exercise, even in just day-to-day -day life. Like sometimes when I'm feeling depressed and I hear a song, it does give me melancholy, and I don't even know why. But to catch yourself and say, Hey, it's time to listen to some new shit, because these are new adventures, this is a new day, like to keep it. Cause you got to keep the, the up even as low as everything gets. Sometimes you got to just like figure it out and like take the best out of that crumb or whatever it is. Right, dude. And, and even like black humor, you know what I mean? Cause like sometimes mm -hmm. I see these news stories, like my mind will still think of something to me that's funny, but actually really dark. And I probably shouldn't say it out loud. You know what I mean? Right. And like that might be a negative thought, but I'm not putting it out there. I'm just thinking, you know, and that's kind of the way I think about art too, dude. And maybe, maybe life. Like, okay, there's like 
worst case scenario and there's best case scenario. You know what I mean? And if you look at that with art, you can go, okay, I could use fucking blackest black, you matte black or whatever, or fucking neon yellow. You know what I mean? The chances are I'm going to use something in the middle. You know what I mean? And that's what it usually comes down to. Like your brain will think, oh, worst case scenario, I'm going to get fired or whatever. Best case scenario, I'm going to get a raise. Well, probably none of those are going to happen, but maybe something in the middle. You maybe know you're I mean? going to keep your job and keep going. Right. You're not going to get a raise <laughs> at anybody, but you're not going to get fired either. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you better stay out or whatever, and something in the middle is going to happen. Maybe you might get yelled at or maybe the boss is going to give you the vibe you or something. You know what I mean? But like in general, like, and I think as an artist or as a musician, like it's important to try like different things. So say like you write this song, you're like, yeah, man, it's a good rocking tempo or whatever. And then you go to lunch and maybe you hear fucking Hank Williams. You're like, you know what? That song might be better country. You know what I mean? And then you start doing a country thing and then you hear Dolly Parton. But you know what? I might do it the way Dolly does it. You know, and it just kind of keeps going. But like, you, and then the next day you're like, you know what? That song's a black metal song, you know, and you change it, you know what I mean? And then eventually maybe it's country black metal or whatever, you know what I mean? Right. It's just good to look at the extremes, you know, but like just being an experienced person or having basic wisdom, knowing that probably either of those extremes aren't going to happen. But as an artist, it's okay to think like, woohoo, you know, like that's out there, dude. And maybe that's what you need to paint. You know, or draw, or write. Or... Well, I gotta ask you what the best shit you ever saw happen at Greer is, because you were there for many things, probably a lot of shit that didn't even get documented. Like you were there. What... Okay, dude, I'll tell you one. Um, and and I wish I got these guys' names, and maybe I even know them. His name but... is Phil Shaw. <laughs> <laughs> no, Phil was amazing, dude. Absolutely, God bless you, Phil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was wicked fresh. I don't know, just sometimes like, well, this one time I got there really early. I, I had to get there at eight in the morning or something pretty early, right? Uh-huh. And um, I got there and uh, I just remember this fucking Camaro or Trans Am or something hitting that dirt lot, you know, next to the, the park. Right. Doing donuts and whatever. It's on one man sideshow. And they stop and it's a bunch of Texans get out, right? And, you know, the, the main thing why I was there was to enforce paths, right? So, and nobody wanted to hear that, right? It's the biggest con job ever. But these guys had full pads. So I'm like, oh, cool. And dude, they instantly started ripping. And, and dude, I don't know who the dudes were. I didn't really, like, they didn't really talk to me. I didn't really talk to them. Just, hey, what's going on? Uh-huh. You know, there's the license plate said Texas, and they had a draw. And they all ripped. They, they <laughs> all ripped. And, and maybe it was. Todd Prance or whatever, but actually I'd known him Todd since 85 and Gibson, a lot of those dudes, but I didn't know who it was, but Hmm. these guys like for never being there before. And I know they had never been there, shredded the shit out of it. But the main guy that I know for sure who it was, was Chris Miller. Shout out. And once again, just showed up in the morning dude, and just, I know he had never been there before and was just bombing these huge errors hip to hip like feds used to be able to do. Remember, you go from the shallow bowl and then pass the island and then bam, hit that other one. But Miller was seriously going like six feet, seven feet Dude, out. That's the urban legend was, so Phil went, um, 
over the we called them the tits because they were two little things. It was where a lot of people would come in and Greer goes either clockwise or counterclockwise. And there's this area called the tits and Phil ran and, and ollied over the tits. But urban legend was that Chris Miller did it the other way out of the big bowl into that little short zone, but no, it was never filmed or photoed, but like people have said, no, someone was there. They saw this and that it was always the Chris Miller session that no one saw was always like one of the fucking big ones i was there you know who ripped that place you probably saw him he stayed at our house for like three months is this guy christian brocks shout out i remember that name dude who did he he i think he was maybe norwegian i don't know where he's from but he's he stayed in a tent in our house when we live in menlo park and he skated he would do nose grinds and shit on the island and like he ripped it there was so much ripping there of course ox Nobody mm. could like him, you know. That was always amazing. Oh, Pete skated it like nobody else. <laughs> Four wheel <laughs> slides across into the bowl, like. Rah! I'm I'm glad that got captured, dude, because that's so hard to explain. You know, he came up to me one day, and I had already like, this is when he was skating like a, like a ski when he had his feet parallel. You remember that dude when he first started coming there, and he would kick turn by pulling up the back or nose of his board. Yeah, yeah. What the hell? You loved watching him skate, right? And then one day he's all, hey, um, what's your name, man? I'm like, Ray. He's all, Ray what? I'm like, Ray Stevens. He's all, dude, were you like in Los Cuidados? And I'm like, yeah. He's all, oh my God, dude. And then he sat there and we talked music, you know, till it started getting dark. And I'm like, well, dude, you know what? We can go get a burrito after this, but I really want to see you skate, man. So won't you go skate? You know, and like, and we became like best friends really fast, dude. And we go see like a lot of Latin shows. He knows a lot about Latin music, Eddie Palmieri, Benny Velarde, like a lot of stuff. And then we saw the Gits, uh, like so many good like punk rock shows. And then bands would play together. You know, we've done some recording together. I DJed his wedding. Oh, sick. You know, Zerosha is another like, Dude, that guy's an original. You know what I mean? Like, definitely, definitely. Yeah, seriously, great. Los Solvidados and Drunk Engines. Mm-hmm. Favorite song to play from each band? I guess uh, Los Solvidados. I like uh, So Dull a lot, mainly because it's got a little bass solo in it. I love the words and it's just kind of, it's not fast, but it's pretty heavy. You know, I guess with drunk engines, probably uh, uh, not forever years. Um, I wrote a couple slower ones, one called Aram, which is uh, Maria backwards. And I guess it's some girl that uh, worked at Thrash that uh, oh. I wrote it for. I know yeah. Maria. The days go short, the nights grow cold. The freezing wind Open your eyes, each day to the sun and laugh and you 
at the time people didn't really like like it or accept it same with odd man out dude. people didn't they wanted to hear punk rock you know mm-hmm. what i mean and and we just came in i mean we like we've always liked a lot of different stuff you know i love your mama she's got a gun program yeah those are those are still heavy to me dude you know and, and i hear other bands that like kind of ripped off some of those riffs you know like um there's a queens of the stone age did that one song down 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 i'm so bad with nick titles dude but, but you um, can hear the influence oh cool the chord changes are there but then i think well fuck dude we ripped off the stooges you everybody know everybody rips off everyone i mean no effects ripped off rkl big time exactly dude yeah and, you know and that's just the way it goes you know um so that's cool in a way it's just like all right they tip the hat to you you know mm. and that's all right you know but um and then at one point mike fox and matt Etheridge uh left the drunk engines and it was mike voss myself mofo and uh, mark gonzalez who was the drummer from odd man out oh a talented guy i can never say enough about him because we always clicked and always wrote music whenever we got together always easy you know um but we wrote a, a handful of songs that never really got released you know maybe on demo format you know that that was pretty cool just a little bit different sound for the drunk engines you know um and, and i thought that was a cool little period but with really mo got, on vocals yeah it was mo on vocals it was basically the drunk engines three other drunk engines uh with the new drummer you know, instead of being a five piece, you know, do you guys have material that was never released? Um, yeah, a little bit, you know, there is some stuff, like I said, that stuff, you know, that I would like, love. I feel like that might be a cool project for you is to like put together, like, you know, unearthed from your collection, like produce like a little, like, cause dude, I don't know if I have to tell you this or not, but a lot of people love the drunk engine. That's right, dude. Yeah. Thanks, Rudy. Yeah. No, Thank it's you. true, man. Like all the young skaters, they know about it somehow. Like it's a generation under me, and they're like, like Andrew Allen, it's his favorite band, you know. Like people cool. love this shit. So it'd be cool to like I think even I talked to Mo about it. Like he said he has different versions of some some of the songs and stuff. Like I think, like you said, like take advantage of that stuff. Like it's it's gold. Yeah, you're right. I, I I need to set up a band camp for like some rare releases, you know. Yeah, I think um, so. Really is they did a um this benefit thing for me after I got out of the hospital in Newark, right. and that was really cool. The Cement Eater and um the Curb Creeps and uh, Devil Sliders played. Wow. I had like started doing demos and helping out the sliders, you know, getting some stuff on Bandcamp, just recording them. And those guys are great. We really love those guys. They're my family. Um, but, um, so they're like, oh, yeah, okay, Ray, you know, cause I learned all their songs cause their bass player quit. Their bass player was 10 years old, dude, coming down from Marin to Santa Cruz and finally he's all shining it, you know, I don't, and, and they had some gig booked at a radio station and I'm like, you know what, man, I'll sit in on this gig, you know, if you guys want me to, you know, and help you out so you don't have to cancel the gig. And so I learned all whatever 13 songs or whatever. And then they're like, Hey, Ray, can you learn a, black sabbath and i'm like nope i'm all you got to learn one of my songs and they're like oh okay so then they come back the next week and they're like 
okay, we got two drunk engine songs we want to do. And I'm like, oh, cool. So they want to do Why Camp, that instrumental, and For Real. Oh, and I'm like, yeah. So we recorded it. And, um, you know, Coulter at the time, like, his voice is pretty high still, you know. And I'm like, you know what, man? I think I might be able to get Mofo down here and let him do the vocals on it, you know? And they're like, yeah, that's cool. And then by the time he got there, I'm like, you know what? Let's do a call and response. You know, you do one line and then, then Mo does the other line, you know? Right. It's producing, right. you know, just ideas. Let's try it, you know? And they're like, yeah, sure. So my wife was in the other room and then, uh, and then we were done or whatever we left. And then my wife's all, well, who was that girl singing? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? And she's like, well, I heard Mofo, but who was the girl? <laughs> like, oh, dude, that was Coulter, man. <laughs> His voice is still high, you know. And she's like, oh, it sounded like X, you know, like a girl guy singing. But uh, anyway, so long story short, so um, during the, uh, that Newark thing, um, I saw that Mofo, you know, was there. And the Devil Sliders were going to play. And I'm like, um, I go up to him like, hey, dude, Mofo's here. Do you guys want to do those drunk engine songs? And they're like, yeah, yeah, sure. I'm like, you know them? They're like, yeah, we know them. I'm like, okay, cool. So then uh, whatever, they're like, yeah, we've got special guests. And then we came up and did it. And it sounded great, dude. Like those right. kids can play. You know what I mean? And it, with Mofo singing and me playing, it just, it sounded like we'd been practicing, dude. Because a couple people guys, you guys were tight, dude. Yeah. I'm like, dude, we've actually never even done this live. <laughs> it's always been like some kind of little studio thing, you know? So um, in, in my heart, what I'd love to do is do a project with those kids and me and Mofo, you know? That'd be but sick. It's just been, be sick. It's been hard to coordinate everything, you know? Mo's like caregiver for his mom and stuff and much respect. But Crabtree, that's the other wow. guy killing it. Huh? Older yeah. he gets, the better he gets, right? I just talked to him yesterday. Oh, no way. Yeah, he said to ask you what you learned about 280 rest stops. <laughs> I'm sleeping? Burning? <laughs> he said he, he found out it was like a hookup spot for dudes. <laughs> I guess it is. Now, I remember during the donut, so you guys played some ripping gigs, right? We played one in San Jose with uh, the vibrators. I got drunk that night. Was that at that music club? Where was that I at? think it was at uh, Corey O'Brien's club. What's it called? Blank? The Blank? Yeah. We played a bunch of shows, but that was our best like that was like playing with the vibrators we felt like we were legit we played at the caravan a bunch we always loved that because they would just give you open bar the whole night oh my friend and then we played a bunch of like house parties like charlie's and those types and then we played some i think we played three shows in sf i didn't know that yeah that was me and mike got to know each other good yeah crabby's great huh He's the best. Yeah, Vibrators, that's one of my first punk records, dude. Really? Yeah, Pure Mania. So great. We kind of have a little debate. All-time American rock band. Leonard Skinner. Leonard Skinner? Yeah, yeah. That's one of the first bands I've ever seen, dude. 
Um, okay. I, I mean, you know, because okay. like, here's why. For one, they always sound rad live. You know what I mean? And as much as I like Led Zepp, I got plenty of bootlegs of them sounding like shit, dude. You know, I think in a way, like Skinner is what Zepp like tries to be like. You know what I mean? Maybe not exactly like Southern rock, but like Americans playing bluesy hard rock. You know what I mean? And I kind of think that's what Zeppelin. Yeah, they got the mystical shit and Misty Mountain Hop and all that stuff. And I'm not slagging it, dude. I'm just saying that Skinner like delivers, you know, and they had a really wide range of songs too, dude. Whoa, slow it down. One thing that I recently uh, learned was that I don't know how much you like Neil Young, but he's got this killer song called Powderfinger. And, um, you know, in a Sweet Home Alabama, how Skinner kind of talks shit about Neil Young. Yeah. Um, that actually they were friends. Yeah. Um, and that uh, Neil Young had wrote Powderfinger for Skinner. But there's no demos of that or nothing. I did some searching the other day. I hope Neil Young will remember. Right. Exactly. <laughs> the other man don't give a damn anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude. Thanks for taking so much time. Yeah, dude. Sorry, I fucking talked too long. I didn't answer your questions. <laughs> I love the cab one. That's my favorite. <laughs> no, dude. I mean, I, I'm definitely stoked that he's still rocking and got like, you know, his new band going on, you know, good for him, you know, and that all my friends that are playing, you know, that still want to play or that skating that, you know, can still skate. You know, and they're just the whole like community is all like kind of one thing, you know, worldwide, you know, and, you know, it's because a thrasher like did those skate rock tapes, you know, and put out those videos, you know, and, and that early videos insane. I love that one, dude. The Tales <laughs> the of Terror and you, yeah. Crazy, like uh, psychedelic effects and stuff. Or Dr. Video or whoever that guy was. Yeah, I met him once. Just, yeah. uh, video Captain, Captain Video. That's it. That's it. I mean, we could talk for um, hours, dude, just about thrash or just about one band or whatever. But I'm just blessed that I got to to do all the stuff that I wanted to do. You know, and like you're right, there is still more projects out there, and there's still a lot of stuff. The thing that you know, I, I tell people now, and like guys that are in bands and younger dudes, it's like, dude, it's more important to be nice than to be cool. You know. Cause everybody has a certain thing about being cool and whatever, but really, you know, I'd rather be remembered as a nice person. Yeah, you know, they, they try to help people and whatever. And yeah, I'm not always like that a hundred percent, you know, we're all human, you know, and, and I was telling my, my friend this the other day, dude, like in, in hip hop, you know, to be a true B boy, you know, you used to have to rap, you know, DJ, uh, breakdance, and graffiti, right? To be a real B-boy. You know, there might even be one more that I don't know about or whatever, but I'm just saying. And then, like, yeah, skateboarding has no rules, but if skateboarders, like, made their own shit to skate, made their own zines, made their own music, and then shared it, that's the main thing, you know, is sharing your spots, sharing your music, sharing your zines, getting it out there, 
it creates real community. Mm. You know what I mean? And real bros mm. and in places that I could sleep in Scotland or those guys could come stay over here or Chile or Canada or Alviso or whoever, you know, there's just that brotherhood, that connection, you know, and yeah, not everybody's cool. And some guys are going to rip you off and some things aren't going to go totally killer. But like in general, if you keep, keep your stuff like that and think about skateboarding in a, in a big sense like that, where like, if I do a little bit more, like make my own ramp or my own zine or my own song and I'm down to share it, how could that hurt? You know what I mean? You just influence somebody. You can tell me to fuck off. Too. <laughs> I don't know, personally, dude, when I put up stuff on, on Facebook or whatever, I'm not even on Instagram, you know, and I might be blowing it or whatever, but I would just rather put stuff that I've done. There's no right or wrong at skateboarding. You know what I mean? I'm not totally down to like, oh, this is what I'm eating right now. But yeah, right on for what you're doing, though, Schmitty, because like really that that helped me a lot, you know, and just it made me laugh a lot in watching Eric J and just, you know, the different different things you had on there, you know, and what's one that you liked the most? Uh, probably mofos, dude, because actually I, I learned a lot of stuff that I didn't know before. Really? You know? And it's just really interesting really? hearing those old Thrasher stories about, you know, how he was, them. you know, doing it. We, we need mofo part two. But the Pete the Ox <laughs> one was great too, dude. Like really, you. dude, you've, you've gotten some really good ones, dude. But congrats, mate. What song shall we end it on? You know, if you go to um, RS2 Solid Sound on on SoundCloud, there's a song on there called Great Kill Digital. That um, it's actually a story that Jai Tanju wrote, and I, and I turned it into a song. And um, Tommy Guerrero plays on it. Sick. And I recorded it like in 2012 or something, but it's finally coming out on vinyl. Uh, next couple months so uh, if you could dig that up i'm pretty sure you could take it right from there okay we'll do that it's called great kill digital right on brother thank you schmitty great kill digital
and push him forward Learn to ride the rolling board Gain respect from all the Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Schmidt. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. When you subscribe, you'll get notifications every Tuesday of new episodes the minute they become available. Also, please leave reviews and a five-star rating. It's the best way to help the show grow. All of the episodes will always remain free, but if you would like to help support the show, you can do so at TalkingSchmidt.com where you can pick up some merchandise like t-shirts, beanies, hats, and stickers. The website has an entire archive of all of the episodes with extra photos and videos. Email us with any suggestions, comments, or ways that the show may have improved your life at talkingschmidt at gmail.com. All interviews are conducted, edited, and produced by Schmitty. The intro music is Mary's Cross by the band Nature. A very special shout-out goes to the executive director, Cheryl Camisa. Shout out. Love it! This is Talking Schmidt, where the Rolodex is deep, but the conversation is deeper. Keep the wheels greased.